It is that time of the week where we bring in John Reed, president of Toronto Police Association. Good to have you. Lots going on. Yes, Alex, there certainly is. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thanks. You know, I saw this headline, and, and, and the new Justice Minister, Arif Varani, I certainly I'm, I'm curious to see what he's going to get done. He's got a lot thrown at his uh, plate. He's trying to fill judges' opinion, um, positions. Uh, but he, he says he's confident the Liberals' bail reform package is going to have an impact and make the country safer. But when he's asked, you know, how, he can't say. He, can't, he says, you know, by, by reversing the onus, um, and making the you know the defense have to prove why a dangerous offender should be let out, um, you know he, he can't say how it will actually work. There's no measurable data. Have you had conversations? Have you been part of, of at the table? No, we have not at the uh, federal level. We're actually <clears throat> with this piece of legislation now. It's now before the Senate, mm-hmm. and looking hopefully they're going to have some um, uh, committees on this, and we're actually looking to be engaged on those on those committees. But I think as far as the legislation goes, you know, any leg- any uh, increased legislation that's going to keep people behind bars is a good thing. Uh, whether this goes far enough, uh, that is a good question. You know, just a case in point, we had an individual last week who tried to escape here in Toronto uh, in a stolen car. Mm-hmm. Ended up being uh, captured, but at the end of it, injures two officers, smashes up four police cars. He gets arrested. He's on bail already. Mm-hmm. After, he gets released on bail. Yeah. And, you know, our members look at this. We just shake our heads as I think any normal member of the public will go like, what's going on here? Like, how many chances does somebody have to get? And when somebody's on bail, that's already a reverse onus. Yeah. You know. So so when, when, I mean, I guess at this point, are officers out there assuming everyone's on bail when they pull them over? Uh, not, not everybody on bail, no. But, but I think this is once again where the courts, the justice of the pieces and the judges really have to, I think, look at public safety. And that has to trump these individuals that go out and consistently reoffend and breach their bail. You know, the case in point, this individual here, you know, you, you, you're on bail, you've been granted bail by the courts, and the courts have said, if you, if you abide by these conditions, we're going to let you out. Right? You don't abide by the conditions, you should be staying in jail. Yeah, I mean, look, it, we've been, I think, far too lenient. Uh, again, a big part of it is being able to follow up and actually um, penalizing the surety, um, you know, paying the money, but also checking up to make sure that they are where they're, they're at. But often enough, they're not. So now it's in the Senate. But how long is this going to take? I mean, this is a Pierre Paul has said, like, it's one of his top um, issues. But, you know, we, we might not have an election for two years. So what's the time frame that we're looking at to get actual tangible changes that were actually needed a long time ago? So I really don't know. Uh, that's really going to be up to the Senate. Because um, you haven't even done committees yet. Like, we're talking at least another year, assuming Parliament doesn't dissolve and something else happens, right? Unfortunately, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, our goal would be, if there is going to be any committee work, we want it to move cr- uh, as quickly as possible. We want to be part of it to make sure this bill has enough teeth, uh, you know, to actually do something and make an impact. And look at the law-abiding citizens here that are out in the streets of Toronto and across Ontario and Canada each and every day. Mm, yes, they are. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to talk about this thing that happened earlier this week where, you know, we woke up, uh, the you know, closures around all of Queen's Park. And they weren't just a small area. There was an enormous area blocked off by, you know, cruisers. You had TTC buses, dump trucks, almost like you were going to have this million-person march or whatever. We didn't get information for hours so it's not like we could give anybody context as to what we were dealing with. Certainly a lot of disruptions for people. Um, 
you know, I guess it was done because there was a report that maybe a convoy was coming. It didn't happen, but like it's an enormous amount of resources uh, to use. But what was the decision-making? What is the decision-making on this? Because we're going to have protests, but when when is it time to bring in the dump tr- trucks and like when's it an overreaction and when's it not? Well, I think once, unfortunately, that's something when the event does not occur and we've actually, actually responded proactively, um, you can't really measure that because that proactive response may have actually stopped the whole convoy if, in fact, there was going to be a convoy. And we have to also look at that particular area. Now, although it's in the area of Queen's Park, it's also Hospital Row. And it's critically important that we keep that area clear of vehicles. So if anybody needs any medical assistance, we can make sure they can get there as quickly as possible. You know, I think, you know, our officers in our uh, investigative branches, you know, they take as much information as they can get. We base our decisions on, on that information. And our goal always is to be proactive. And but, but you could literally then report, hey, I hear a convoy's coming. I mean, we have protests all the time, and they don't generally get this kind of reaction. Has something changed? No, I would probably suggest that the, um, the volume of information was such that it was deemed to be credible. You know, it's not like someone's just calling in, making one phone call. Um, it was probably credible information. Um, and I can't comment on what was provided because I don't know. But generally, there'd be credible information that would cause the resource to be applied here to make sure this event does not take place. Yeah, and it took hours, like hours of, uh, and, and what's the call time? When do you guys make that call? When is the call? Because, I, you know, obviously you had to bulk up with more officers. Yeah, so ultimately, uh, this is one of the things we talked about all the time, making sure that our men and women are, have enough numbers that we can respond and do what we need to do when these situations occur. Um, you know, when the call came in, I don't know. Once again, I'm not privy to the actual information that came across or how it was um, decided to make that call. But we have to make sure staffing-wise that we have the members available to do what the public expects us to do. Because I'm, I'm sure most people in Toronto would not want a convoy sitting down a Queen's blocking hospital row. No, no, they wouldn't. And again, um, if police are allowed to do their job, they generally do it. And we avoid that kind of stuff. Just quickly want to drop, um, you know, get into something that I think will probably be maybe become a bigger conversation. But we lost yet another um, officer, an RCMP constable, Rick O'Brien, uh, last week, and he's just like the latest in this never-ending line, um, you know, killings of police officers in the line of duty. Number of officers have been hurt. We've talked about that. Has this started to affect recruiting numbers? I think it most definitely is. You know, and I, and I think first off, I'd like to, you know, offer my condolences to you know the family and also to all the members and police families across Ontario and Canada. Because it does impact everybody very, very deeply. And I think, <clears throat> I know what our members go out each and every day, they realize this is a possibility. But to have so many of them, and it's so impactful now, I think, on the, the husbands, the wives, the children, the parents of police officers and members of the service, you know, that this could in fact happen to them. You know, this officer's out doing his duty, executing a search warrant on Friday, and ends up with this result. Yeah, well, when would you have the data? Like, because we, we, we do need front lines. But how will you, when will you know, or is the research being done on, on, you know, I guess changing tactics to get recruitments, you know, on the front lines? Or when will you have an idea of, of the impact? Yeah, so we're, we've actually come together with police associations, police services, um, the Ontario, Ontario Association of Chiefs of Police, and the Association of Police Services Boards yeah. to look at ways we can attract candidates to the policing profession, both uniform and civilian. You know, effectively, it, you know, we need people to come to the service. We can't just drop people in police cars and say, go ahead, 
go be a policeman. It takes a lot of skill, a lot of uh, training to be a police officer and all the support jobs as well. So I think there, there's, there's a recruiting issue right now across Canada, across the world, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. But we really need to change the narrative on policing. Yeah, it's uh, certainly a challenge, and all the headlines do not help. All right, John, we'll chat again. Thank you for your time. Great. Thanks, Alex. Have a great day. You as well, John Reed, president over at the uh, Toronto Police Association. I mean, there's got to be a lot of thought going in. Maybe it was a no-brainer. I think like when you go to school, policing was, yeah, maybe police, firefighters, but I think a lot of people give a pause for thought given all the things we've seen.